You're immortal. She's not. It's not easy. I married my Edna May in aught three, and I was with her right until the end. Not a pretty picture. Wrinkled and senile and cursing me for my youth. It wasn't our happiest time. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about Season 7, Episode 18. The Guardian. Hey, remember when The Guardian was a plot point? Inconsistently? I remember it coming up every once in a while, only to be dropped for episodes at a time. Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, I think we've talked enough about the problem with this season, which is that... It doesn't seem to know what it's doing. We don't know who the villain is. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what the plot line is. And now we're back to a plot line from like way at the beginning where Rumpelstiltskin is trying to get the darkness sucked out of his soul so that he can die and go to heaven and be with Belle. By the way, I went back and watched a couple earlier episodes in this season and they are so divorced entirely from what ended up happening just ivy and do you remember victoria belfry's relationship um i think you mean do i remember victoria belfry yeah all of the even ancillary characters related to her are are gone now i feel well i mean cinderella's still around is she yeah it's weird it's I have never so much felt like a show that is supposed to have a continuous plot went in with no plan more than this season of this show. I I said it once and I'll say it again. It really reminds me of New Charmed, where you have some strong ideas, but then it's just all over the map. And it's like, really? You didn't like plan out where a series is going? And I know that can backfire how I met your mother. Sure. Well, you can't get so tied. You can't be so married to your idea of how the series or season is going to end that you don't allow for natural organic changes to the plot as they occur. But this isn't really that either, because... No, this season is a nightmare. This, like, and I don't mean like, oh my god, it's so bad, I'm using some sort of hyperbole. I mean, this is like when you show up for the test and you haven't studied all year. Uh, it's, it's really all over the map. That being said, I don't think this episode is particularly bad. No, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So. And that's the thing about this season. A lot of the episodes are fine in a vacuum and would be great if they had a story around them to support them. But none of them do. They're all just floating in the ether. So, as a reminder, uh, Rumpel and Belle lived a happy, idyllic life out at the edge of time, which is a place... I I don't know why I said it like that. It's a place. Uh, I mean, you're right. Like, time is a place, and that's weird. But they lived an idyllic life out there. Belle aged into old age, makeup, and then died. Uh, Let's see. Also, Jack was Hansel, was Nick was a serial killer who was serial killing witches but then they decided that plot was boring so dr facilier voodoo dolled him to death which is a shame because that plot actually could have been interesting 
I felt like, okay, we're two-thirds of the way through the season, but at least they finally found their footing. And then they were like, no, we don't like this. Kill Nick. And you can actually see the effort going out of the show in Nick Hansel Jack's death scene. Yeah, yeah, his... I don't think I noticed it last episode, but... I didn't either, because I think I was so surprised, but... Uh, but in the previously on, when they showed Nick being killed, you know, where uh, Dr. Facilier sticks a pin into the voodoo doll, and then he, like, gasps and falls over in a very cartoonish manner, but also a, like, <gasps> Okay, I'm done. It's both cartoonish and underacted. I don't know how you can do both of those things at the same time. But Well, let's talk about this week's episode, which does not deal with the candy killer, because I guess we're done with that plot. Yes, we are now done with that. Instead, we're back to the Guardian, who you might remember as being uh, Anastasia, but you're wrong. And, uh, oof, okay. So the opening, I don't feel qualified to talk about why this is probably very wrong and bad, but it's, it's wrong and bad. Rumple is going to a Day of the Dead-esque country. Okay, so, yeah, here's the thing. Was Coco, did Coco just come out when this, uh... Yeah, so Coco had just come out. Mm-hmm. So Rumple is now going to a, and I had to look up all these words, but I looked up these words. So Rumple goes to an ofrenda, the altar, where... The picture of Bell is, and it's got all of the Day of the Dead iconography. You know, he's got the sugar skulls, and it's surrounded by Aztec marigolds. But it's clear that this isn't a celebration, right? This isn't a day in which the dead are honored and remembered. This is a place where you can go and talk to the dead. And I'm super uncomfortable with taking a holiday that is real, that exists, and instead turning it into a magical realm. I mean, it is sort of a subset of Disney literally trying to copyright Day of the Dead, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's what we're looking at here. Yeah. I do love this picture of Belle because she has what one of my coworkers has deemed the white person acknowledgement mouth line. Oh, see, it's funny because I interpreted her face as, oh my God, take the picture already, smile. I don't know. I see it as, you know, the kind of thing you do where you sort of suck your lips in a little bit and you're like, maybe a little nod. I mean, I could see it being either. Yeah. Also known as Jim Face for Jim from The Office. Oh, yeah. Okay. The look to the camera face. Sort of. The acknowledgement face. You know, I'm not having an emotion one way or the other. I'm just acknowledging that something is happening. Anyway. So, Rumple is talking to Belle about something, something, Guardian, something. Uh, and he wants to know if she's listening, if she's waiting in heaven for him. I mean, they never say heaven, but that is what they mean. I mean, well, we, we've been to the afterlife. Actually, you know what? I say that is what they mean. I don't think that's what they mean. I think he wants to know if she's waiting in Hell's hell. lobby? Yeah, so that the two of them can move on together. Because I guess... If she moves on without him, okay, this is a this is a new wrinkle that's introduced this episode, and it's not really talked about. It's just kind of implied that he's worried that if she moves on without him, he won't like find her, so he has to 
get this taken care of right now? Jesus Christ, dude. You know you can just go to Hell's Lobby anytime you want. That's what the Hell season established. Well, okay, as long as we're here, I was going to wait till later, but let me talk about what's so annoying about this whole thing. All right. This is a redemption story with no redemption, right? Like, the whole thing is Rumpel has to find a way to get the darkness taken out of his heart. But the path to that isn't be a good person. The path to that is literally find a magical person who can suck it out and depower the dagger. Well, it is be a good enough person so you just can't use your dark powers to solve all of the issues that come up. Well, I mean... They, they use the don't be a good person as a plot thing, not necessarily as how he can be redeemed. Right. It's... I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of this idea. Like, the... I... Although, to be fair, once upon a time, we've already seen how this works. Cora spent her whole life making everyone miserable, killing people, etc., etc. And then after she was dead, all she had to do was say, whoopsie doodles, dick move on my part. And she got to go to heaven. So I don't know why Rumpel's putting all this effort into it. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess the idea is that if you're a dark one, like, it's part of the deal with the devil that you go to hell when you die. I mean... That you're barred from heaven. It would make sense if that was the deal. This plot is annoying. While Rumpel is talking to the picture of Belle, Dr. Facilier shows up to taunt Rumpel. He's like, yes, anyone can talk to the dead in this realm, but only certain people can listen. And he's there because he knows that Rumpel thinks that Alice might be the guardian and for some reason he thinks Belle will know if Alice is the guardian or not. He's there to push the plot along this episode. He's there to tell Rumple what he needs to do this episode so that we can have this episode, which is very clunky. He's there to tell Rumple, look, here's the deal. You need, you think Alice might be the guardian, but you need to see if she's pure of heart, so you need to go test her. And then he takes out one of his dolls and he stabs it and rumple's like why did you do that and fazoli is like to show i i don't know why i did that and rumple starts force choking him okay i will say that part made me laugh not the force choking but the part before it i love whenever there's like a big mystical moment with like music swelling and then like just the air gets let out of it he's just like impotently poking at the doll <laughs> The point of this is that Dr. Facilier does want the Dark One dagger because... Which we already know. Yeah, which we already know. And It's it, so weird to me. It feels like every time they bring up that Dr. Facilier wants the Dark One dagger, it's supposed to be a revelation. Yeah, they, they do keep on going to that over and over again. So... He also warns Rumple that if Rumple doesn't figure it out quickly... He'll succumb to his dark nature, which is not how redemption works. Like, you just need to have a day where you're, like, really, really, really good and then hopefully have a heart attack that night. Like, that's, that's not, that's not, whatever. Well, he pulls a Cassie from Buffy and acts like he's channeling Belle, although maybe he is actually channeling Belle. He's like, uh, uh, stop choking me so I can give you this message from Belle. The message being uh, that she's afraid that now that she's no longer with him, he will succumb to the darkness, that the darkness is already in him, and that he needs to 
get guardianed good before the darkness overtakes him. Okay, that's some, like, bullshit. Bell, if he succumbs to the darkness just because you're not with him, that's, that's what he is. But we can see the darkness crawling up his hand. Yeah, so this is a flashback, but Rumple has non-dark one skin. He doesn't have the scaly dark one skin, but we can see a spot of it forming, like, uh, like Zelina. Even uh, though that's not a thing we've ever seen before. I thought you were going to say, like, cirrhosis. Well, yeah, because it scales. So, back in the non-fairy tale land, uh, Rumple and Hook, Rogers and Weaver, go to check on Jack, only to find him dead as hell in the holding room. Thing. Interrogation room. Interrogation room. Okay, so Weaver, like, takes his pulse, but he's, like, so unconcerned for the body. If he didn't think he was dead, he would be manhandling this guy. And Rogers is just, like, really low energy, so should I call an ambulance? Like yeah, Low energy <laughs> is, like, the keyword for the scene, should I call an ambulance? And Rumble's like, eh, he's, I mean, you can, but he's already dead. And... Then he realizes what this means, and he rushes into the evidence locker to look for his dagger. <gasps> but it's gone! Yes, Rumple is shocked and terrified to discover that his dagger is gone. And we cut to the opening time credit, uh, and we cut to the Once Upon a Time credits where the O in Once is... All of the letters, all of the letters in Once are Aztec Marigolds. Even though I think, if I remember right, we don't go back to the Day of the Dead scene after this, right? No, I think we revisit it one more time near the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. It is sort of hard to remember what happened in this episode. This episode that we just watched. I don't remember being bored by it, but also it's like, I don't know, tofu, a saltine. Well, in, no, tofu is the perfect way to describe this episode because it was fine on its own but it needs good stuff surrounding it that it can take on the flavor of and it didn't have that mm. so in hyperion heights we see tilly sitting at the fremont troll the hyperion heights troll drawing the troll when margo comes across her and is like hey we should date let's go on a date and Alice is like, well, you are the only person who sees me, but also that might be a bad idea because I have ill-defined issues that may or may not be related to having fairy tale memories, but maybe I'm suppressing that or something. It's not super clear. Yeah, I never know if Alice is supposed to be awake or not, but I guess not. Tilly is not awake in this episode, but yeah, like you said, she seems to have flashes of fairy tale memory. It's very weird. Maybe. Like, sometimes it seems like she knows stuff from the other room, but maybe not. I mean, if the pills suppress the memories, I don't know why you would willingly take them. <sighs> so, she does agree to go on the date with Margot, but first she warns her, like, look, I have ill-defined TV mental illness, so... Just a warning that might factor into the date later. Yes, the date might end in a dramatic fashion. We cut from that to Henry telling Jacinda that Nick was a serial killer. And Jacinda's like, I'm kinda, I'm just going to kind of breeze over that. Because she's like, wow, I can't believe Nick was a serial killer. Anyway, what's up with you? Well, she wants to know what Nick told him. And Henry doesn't want to talk about it yet. 
which I understand because imagine how the conversation would have to go. The conversation would have to be, hey, remember how we met? Remember that the way we met is your daughter became obsessed with my book and thought it was real? Well, it turns out so did her father, who's a serial killer and was using it as an excuse to serial kill. Solid point there, yes. Which, also, speaking of going back to the early stuff, like, in the first episode, Jacinda establishes that uh, Lucy's father was a one-night stand she had no history with. Yeah, she feels guilty that she didn't realize Nick was crazy, but yeah, he was a one-night stand. Except he wasn't. When they reintroduced him into the plot, they had a thing where they had a long-term relationship, which she ended up finally breaking off for good once she got pregnant, because he wasn't a good guy. (sighs) Except he was a good guy. Until they decided that he was a serial killer. I genuinely do not believe that they had him set up as a serial killer in their season Bible when they first introduced him. Yeah, I'm glad you said when you first introduced him because clearly he was not intended to be a character until a bit into the story. And then they just did a total pivot on what kind of character he was supposed to be. I mean, never more have I seen a show where it's so clear that they are making it up as they go. But, yes, Henry's not telling Jacinda that Nick, her one-night-stand-slash-old long-term boyfriend, uh, had the same fairy tale obsession that her daughter has. He's, an, he's also not telling her the weirdest thing, which is that Nick showed him a piece of paper from the hospital saying that Henry is Lucy's biological father. Now, Henry is not certain that this paper is real at this point, but it's pretty unexplainable unless, you know, Lucy's right. Yeah. So, which especially, I don't know a lot about hospitals, but it does seem kind of weird. I'm glad Henry does more research. It does seem kind of weird that the doctor did the extra work to confirm that he and Lucy were related. I know they were... Like, he volunteered blood while she was in the coma. No, 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 Henry asked her to. See if they were related? Yeah. Because he was, like, on the verge of believing Lucy. Uh, really? Yeah. God, that was so many plots ago. Or wait, maybe he didn't ask her to. Oh, no, no, no. He asked her to see if his blood was a match for hers to see if he could give blood. Yeah, and the doctor was like... There's a seven bajillion chance that it's not unless you're directly related. Yeah. Which isn't true. Yeah, like, blood types are a thing. But I guess maybe if she needed bone marrow, that's different. Bone marrow is... How would bone marrow get her out of that... I I know, that's... (laughs) It was a magical coma, Max! (laughs) She was a witch, which wasn't really touched on that much, that the doctor... That was the only reason the doctor got killed, was that she happened to be a member of the Coven of Eight. Yeah, the doctor was a witch who was killed specifically to keep Henry from getting the information that they were related. And... God, remember how many plots ago the Coven of Eight was? God, do you think that's going to come back? Well, we haven't seen Gothel in a while, and she was the main antagonist for a hot second. Well, spoiler alert, but the next episode is a Gothel-centric episode. Uh, Okay. The show's going back to its roots. Uh... All right, but we're not there yet. Let's talk about this week's episode. Uh, Rumpel is leaving the police station 
And Hook's like, so there's still a body in that room. What am I supposed to do with that? And Rumple's like, don't care. I've got a suspect and I'm going to go check him out. Yeah, Rumple's like, how about you do the police work and I'll go find the killer. And Hook's like, you're not going to give me any more information than that? Like, there, there's a dead guy in a literal locked room murder mystery in this police station yes because no one has gone in or out as far as they can tell of the interrogation room yeah man it would have been really cool if they'd done an actual like locked room mystery in this season also you know there's no sign of anything that would have killed nick yeah rogers also points out that weaver is clearly afraid of something and he's never seen weaver afraid before and weaver's like Okay, screw you. I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, back in Fairytale Land, Rumpel is lizarding up pretty fast. Yeah, but just on his hands where he can, like, look at it. Meanwhile... And he's... And he's standing in the woods, creepily watching Alice at her cabin. This is after all of the Wonderland stuff, so she's not able... She's already met Robin at this point, but she hasn't broken the curse of the poisoned heart on her father. She never did. Papa. Yeah, she never has. She hasn't yet. Yes. Yes. It is. I guess it's not really there in the anti-curse land, the land, the world without magic, but presumably that curse is still also on New Hook. Yes. Yeah. So when the curse is broken, presumably Alice and Hook won't be able to be near each other either. Yes. But nobody cares about that. Everyone just cares about Henry. Oh, that's more reasonable. I was just trying to place us in time. This is after most of the stuff that has happened with Alice, but before the curse is cast, obviously. But I was going to say right before the curse is cast, but not because the stuff with Rumple has to happen. Yeah, Rumple goes full dark one before Lucy's born, right? Yes. Except... That Robin doesn't show up until Lucy's born, and Robin and Alice have an established relationship in this episode. So, fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it. So, Alice and Robin uh, continue their incredibly tepid romance. Okay, so I really like that their romance is treated as completely normal. Nobody's like, what? Two women? But also, it's so sexless. It's like David and Mary Margaret all over again. Uh, Except they made out all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's no chemistry between these two. It's just that, like, the camp. It's just that the director's like, okay, leave room for the Holy Spirit in every single shot. I don't know what it is. It's so weird that this show. Because uh, I, I would disagree with them. I mean, I guess they have minimal chemistry. I agree that. I could see them being a couple, possibly. But it's weird that the show is so much better at building chemistry between same-sex characters when it's not the point of a scene or not the point of a character arc. Like, again, to go back to our classic ship, Emma and Regina have bonkers-ass chemistry, like, throughout the basically the entire show. Well, because the show is not making them a romantic couple, other than, you know, the fact that it's clearly making them a romantic couple, it's not afraid to have them touch. Um, I was keeping an eye in this episode at the physical contact between, as a contrast, Henry and Jacinda, and 
Alice and Robin slash Tilly and Margot. I can't keep forgetting Margot's name. Mm. Like, you'll notice that Henry just, you'll notice the way Henry, like, casually takes Jacinda's hand. Because they have a closeness and they have a rapport, even though, due to plot constraints, they have not yet kissed. But here, there's actually a moment coming up where Alice and Robin touch hands and then they jerk their hands back like they're afraid to touch. Okay, this, weirdly enough, reads like some kind of inversion of Willow and Tara's relationship when it's first getting established in Buffy, slash before they make the jump to UPN, uh-huh. where there were all of these network restrictions on what Willow and Tara could do on screen. Uh, for example, they don't kiss until season five, and there were these rules like, okay, so they can kiss, but they have to... Uh, uh, they have to be X feet away from a bed when they do it. And, you know. Okay, so. But there are all these network restrictions that were dictating what Allison Hannigan and Amber Benson, how they could interact. But that really just worked to build up the chemistry of the two characters. You had a lot of hand stuff. You had a lot of casual touch. And this is the opposite of that, where it is an explicit scene between two people who are romantically involved where they seem like they're unable to do any of the normal things people who are attracted to each other do. Yeah. Networks shouldn't be putting restrictions on same-sex relationships like that. Like, it's somehow bad. I hope that goes without saying. Yes. But at the same time, there is no sexier moment on television than when Willow and Tara hold hands and slam that vending machine against the door and hush. Yes, that is that is an incredibly accurate statement. That is one of the most sexual moments on TV ever. Not counting the uh, big flaming O. I mean, I feel like the big flaming O was trying to recreate the magic of the vending machine moment and was maybe actually trying a little too hard. You mean because it's clearly sexual instead of just subtextually sexual? Yeah. And then, of course, they became an actual uh, couple. And then they even got to casually make out and stuff when the show jumped to UPN before Tara was killed. Spoilers for Buffy. Yeah. It's weird, though, because Allison Hannigan ne- uh, never really got the same chemistry with Kennedy that she got with uh, Tara. And they just made out all the time, and it was weirdly sexless. I mean, after Tara, was anyone ever going to love Kennedy? Oh, God, no. No. Like, the fan base... I mean, I feel bad for Kennedy. She had no chance. She came in there with no shot. She did, And they made an effort to make her, like, the anti-Terra, so you wouldn't just be like, oh, they just came up with a new Terra to fill in. But that's not good either. Yeah. It's so weird, because I I thought I might like Kennedy, because I was expecting to hate Terra. I was such a huge Oz fan. I was like, oh, I love Oz so much. And then they introduced Terra, and it's like, ah, how can you not love Terra? I mean, yeah. Tara's the best. Tara is too good for the Scooby gang. Yes. She's too good for this world. Which factors into another series of unpleasant tropes about gay people, but... Yes. So on this show... So on this show, Robin is delivering a letter from Hook to Alice. And, you know, Alice is giving her the letter to take back. And 
honestly, in this scene, if you didn't know that they were girlfriends... You wouldn't know that they were girlfriends? It's so weird, though, because it's like... Okay, so they're girlfriends. They show up on Alice's doorstep. Mm -hmm. Robin's like, here's a letter from your dad. Alice is like, thanks, here's a letter back to him. Robin's like, here's a friendship bracelet that I made for you. Because remember, I'm from the world without magic. And Alice is like, oh, I have nothing for you. Oh, wait, here's a pocket watch from Wonderland that goes backwards. And then Robin leaves. Like, what do you have to do in the Enchanted Forest that you can't have tea with your girlfriend? I do kind of love that they're basically having a relationship from, like, Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley, where your relationship just involves exchanging goods with people until eventually you get married. Yes, you give them gifts until your relationship bar is high enough that they let you do the minigame that makes a baby. I'm stealing that from a cracked video about video games. Yes, that... But also how video games work. Yes. So, Rumple's creeping on this intimate moment, I suppose, is interrupted by Hook holding a sword to his throat because, my, my word, this man, this stupid, stupid man. Okay, but so Rumple was creeping in the forest watching this interaction, and so was Hook. Like, I guess I can understand how the relationship feels sexless if both parties are aware that one of their fathers is spying on them. I guess that would make it difficult. This is why, the Fra- this is why Franklin Richards basically never had sex when he was a teenager. He's in a house where all of the walls could be invisible at a moment's notice. Oh my god. Think about how bad it was for Rachel Summers. Her mom can literally read minds. I Honest I, to God, I don't know how anyone in the X-Mansion ever has sex. Well, I feel like if you're a telepath, you block that out because you have to. So if you live with a telepath, you know that they're blocking it out because they have to to get by day to day. Well, with the X-Mansion, it's not just the telepaths because you do have the telepaths, a lot of whom are, you know, kids who are hitting puberty and can now read minds. You also have, like, people like Eyeboy who can see through walls. And, like, half a dozen people who have, like, enhanced senses can smell pheromones or whatever. No privacy. No privacy in the X-Mansion. So, in Babylon 5, there's a group of telepaths. They're not a race of telepaths. Every race sometimes develops telepaths. And there's this group that comes and takes them away, trains them up. And one of the things that we learn they train them to do is that telepaths are basically constantly reciting nursery rhymes in their head to keep themselves from accidentally looking into other people's heads and seeing things they don't want to see. Hmm. Which sounds like hell. Speaking of hell, Hook is doing this weird protective dad thing against Rumple while holding a sword to his throat. What are you going to do with the sword, dude? Yeah, I mean, like, he could run him through, but it wouldn't kill him. Although he does know that Rumple's not going to fight back because he reminds us all for, like, the millionth time that Rumple wants to get back to Belle. And Rumple tells him, you know, oh, I think Alice might be the guardian and everything's been fuzzily defined, but she's going to save me. And Hook's all like, um, she's my daughter. I don't want her doing any interactions with your dagger. That's not good. Which, fair, I guess. I think Hook thinks that he just wants her to be the new Dark One. Even though he explicitly says that's not the case. 
it's weird because Hook here is treating it like the guardian power is a burden. And later, Rumple is going to do the same. But we don't really even understand what that means. Like, is it a burden? I mean, what is it even? I kind of thought that the guardian was supposed to be like the savior, where it's just a set of extra magic powers you get. I I mean, the savior never had a super defined role. She was supposed to bring people their happy endings, except for when she was just introduced as a way to end the curse. Yeah, remember the savior was just supposed to end the curse, but then it turned out that... It's like the Slayer and you get your own set of special abilities and have to fight evil until your actress doesn't want to be on the show anymore. Yeah, basically. So, I don't know why Hook's assuming that guardianship is anything more than just, like... Ending the Dark One. Yeah, being able to do a special magic thing. Like, when Dawn was the key, she was still the key after, you know... It didn't open anything anymore. She was just a regular person who had magic blood that could do something at one point and now probably can't. Yeah. Also, who only came into existence because of that. Yes. Much like the savior. Oh, yeah. Except that she only came into existence to break the curse, but she did it the normal way. Yeah. The normal way. God. So, in the evidence room or somewhere in the police station hook is going over the security footage to see who killed jack nick hansel but it turns out that the security footage crapped out right before someone came into the room to kill him yeah it does this weird magical fuzz effect and the one cop who's allowed to have lines comes in and he's like hey here's some pictures of stuff that might interest you about things okay wait wait no i have to say what those pictures are Okay. So there's security camera footage pictures from the bank that's across the street that points at the jail. That points at the police station. And Hook thought it would be a good idea to download them, and he did. And then he printed them, and then he left them on the printer so that this guy could bring them over. And now Hook is acting like he's seen them for the first time, even though presumably he saw them on the screen before he printed them. Anyway, Naveen was lurking outside the police station. That's what we see in the pictures. Boy, it's a good uh, it's a good thing that they reintroduced Naveen last episode, or I would have completely forgot who that character was. Oh, poor Naveen. In fact, I did forget until you reminded me multiple times throughout the course of this episode. So, Henry comes in and he's like, Hey, so I'm here to check in on that guy who held me hostage because some real weird shit's going down. And Hook's like, hey, buddy, how's my little pal doing? And he, he ruffles his hair. He calls him his unofficial deputy, which is such a stepdad thing to call someone. You you remember that you're not actually his stepdad. In, I was going to say in this universe, but in any universe. Yeah. Well, I mean, he doesn't remember that he thinks he's his stepdad, even though he's not. So there shouldn't even be residual feelings. Whatever. Oh my god, this show. It's just, it's bizarre that he's treating this grown-ass man like a little kid. But he's like, oh, hey, Nick's dead as balls. Yeah, Henry wants to talk to Nick and, and Hook is like, ooh, bad news on that front. What happens to literally any person who gets put in police custody for any period of time? Dead. Oof. Too, too real. Too, too real, yeah. Hook says he's going to go back to Nick's apartment to look for more clues. And Henry asks if he can tag along. And Hook is 
Hook has a second where he realizes that's not a good idea, but then he gives in and he's like, all right, you can come. I'm not a real cop anyway. Who gives a shit? I mean, this isn't storybrook level bad as far as policing goes but it's close poor will scarlet no resolution god forgot about that guy back in the bar ronnie is working on the spell that's going to cure henry so that when the curse is broken he won't immediately die she's literally mooning over the magic that dr facilier gave to her she's like oh My boyfriend's so great when he's not trying to kill people. Well, I think she also finds magic super sexy, and she hasn't had any of it for a really long time. Also, this season seems to kind of be breaking who can and cannot do magic in the world without magic. Well, you know, Dr. Facilier gave her that powder... That he stole, because he stole magic from Anastasia, but it turns out Anastasia was just a regular magic person, so why doesn't Regina still have her magic? Because she's also just a regular magic person. Oh, you mean because Anastasia wasn't the guardian? Yeah, she was just some random-ass magic kid who happened to have magic in the world without magic. Meanwhile, Alice, who is the guardian, has no magic. Ish? Whatever. Whatever. The point is, Regina doesn't have any magic. She just has this tube of powder that is magic. And that's going to be important in this episode because Rumpel comes in and he wants that magic for himself. He wants that magic so that he can protect himself since the dagger has been stolen, presumably by Dr. Facilier. Rumpel tells Ronnie, I think your boyfriend stole the dagger. And she's all like, what? Just because he outright said every time I asked him that his purpose here was to steal the dagger, you assume he came and stole your dagger? I mean, I really think Dr. Facilier deserves credit for being the most straightforward character ever introduced on this show. Yeah, he like literally just says exactly what he wants and what he's going to do about it at every turn. And then everybody acts surprised when he does exactly what he said he was going to do, which I guess fair enough because nobody ever does what they say they're going to do on this show. I think that's the reason he hasn't shown up that consistently because he would just accomplish all of his goals and the season would be over like four episodes in. That actually sounds great. So, uh, so Regina is horrified at the thought that her boyfriend might have done the thing that he claimed he was here to do. And she's also angry that Rumpel thinks that he should have the magic to fix whatever his problem is instead of wanting her to use the magic to, you know, cure his grandson. I do love how much she's like, you remember that he's your grandkid, right? Because it feels like you don't. And Rumpel's like, look, we have literally all of the time in the world to help Henry. All he has to do is not kiss Jacinda and we can deal with this later. My thing is time sensitive. I feel like, though, it's the opposite. Henry's thing is super time sensitive because they can only keep him from kissing Jacinda for so long. And even my idea of telling him what's going on so that he, you know, knows not to kiss Jacinda wouldn't really work. Because the way Henry's wired, you know he would be like, oh, well, I must break the curse even if it means sacrificing myself so that nobody lives under the curse. Yeah. So, really, that's a much harsher time deadline than 
whatever it is Rumple is worried is happening with the dagger there in the world without magic. Yeah, Dr. Facilia would have to wait until you were in a magic realm in order to take the power from you. That was the whole thing about you uh, getting poisoned by Hook back in Season 2 in the world without magic. That if you die in the world without magic, all of that power just disappears. Also, you get what you want if you die in the world without magic. Yeah. Ugh. Well, Ronnie says she's going to go talk to Baron Samdi and find out if he has the dagger or not. And Rumble huffs out. And then we cut to Tilly and Margot's date, where they are eating candy apples. And Alice is like, I've never heard of a candy apple before. She's like, I've never heard of fruit wrapped in candy before, which... What? It, what? Even if you're fairy tale, Alice, that's like the first thing most civilizations come up to do with fruit. Yeah, right? But there is the line where Margot says, you can put candy on anything if you try hard enough. Hmm. Yeah. So Tilly brings Margot to her favorite place in the city that somehow didn't appear in her day in the life of Alice. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it's a special occasion place. Yes, it is a small bookstore. I mean, is it? Like, they talk about it like it's a small bookstore. Margot's like, oh, look at this quaint mom-and-pop place. And Tilly corrects her that it's a pop-and-pop place, which is cute. It is cute. We see neither pop nor pop. Yes. Although, uh, there we did come up with a theory as to who the bookstore's owners are. Yes, we theorize that it is the man from the opening provincial town song of Beauty and the Beast. You mean the one person Belle isn't a giant dick to in that song? She is so mean to the villagers in that song. But also, this bookstore is huge. This is not a small local bookstore, but whatever. There goes the basic bitch with his tray, like always. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a reason the villagers don't get along with you, Belle. I know, Belle is just so sure that she's just so above everyone else. I mean, yes, she is the protagonist, but you have to imagine how annoying it is having to deal with someone who thinks they're the protagonist all the time. Yeah. Anyway, so Tilly talks about how much she loves this bookstore because here she can go all around the world and she gestures to a convenient world map on the wall. Well, it's next to the travel section, which is her favorite section because I guess she comes here and just reads travel books. Ugh, travel books. Now, this is actually supposed to be a parallel with what we saw in the flashback. See, Tilly just reads about going different places, but Margot's actually been everywhere. And in the flashback, Alice talked about being stuck in her cabin, whereas Robin was going all over the place to all the different realms. Even though Alice is like... Why is Alice stuck in the cabin? That doesn't make sense. Right? Like, I get that she doesn't want to be near her father, but she could go literally anywhere else. She was in Wonderland. And, like, even that, like, we've seen that she can be, like, just not touching her dad several feet away from him and things are fine. They're trying to hammer home the girl in the tower thing, but here's another problem with this season. You know what thematically is the opposite of the girl in the tower? What? Alice in Wonderland! Yes. So here in Hyperion Heights, Margot has like a wrist full of different bracelets that she bought in all the different places that she traveled. And she takes off the one that she went the furthest to get, 
she went to Thailand, presumably Phuket, because once upon a time. I meant to look this up, but didn't. She says that she got it in the place that's as far as you can get from Hyperion Heights before you start to come back again. But she doesn't say the name of it. But, I mean... It's probably the ocean. Right? I mean, but surely there's a website that tells you if you dig in Seattle where you'd end up. I'm googling right now, Seattle opposite side of the world. Here's some results. That's creepy. Actually, apparently the opposite of side of the world from Seattle is France, according to the first thing that pops up on Google. Well, a French territory. Yes. Yeah, not France. Uh, it's it's a French territory in Antarctica. A French territory in Antarctica is the place that you would get if you went as far as you possibly could from Seattle. Yeah. So she bought that bracelet in Antarctica. I think she says Thailand later in the episode. Okay. You don't think she got that bracelet in Antarctica? She went just to... I Just to be I, like, I, all right, mother! <laughs> I'm as far from you as I can be, so fuck you, man. It's cold. Okay, I'm going home now. So she'd be like the anti-Ivy. Yes. Yes, exactly. Ivy, who, like, sticks close to her mother for no discernible reason. Because she hates her so much. Also, she's like Ivy. She clings to things. Yes. In the flashback, Alice is showing off her bracelet that she got from Robin to her stuffed animals because... She has no friends. She has no friends. Although she was apparently friends with Jacinda's mother before Jacinda's mother got killed by the Jabberwock. She was also friends with Rumpelstiltskin at one point, and he comes into her cabin and is like, hey friend, and she tells him, oh, my dad sent me a letter that said I'm not supposed to talk to you, so yeah. And then Rumpel's response is, I know, that's why I watched to make sure he wasn't here before I came in. Yes, he said, I waited until a time when he wasn't watching to come visit you, and Alice is like, I'm gonna kind of just slide right over that, what's up with your hands? And he's like... See, I'm kind of turning evil, but no no need to worry about that. I want to see you and your father reunited again, and I have a way to break the curse of the poisoned heart. Fuck Rumple. Fuck Rumple for presenting this test to Alice as though it's a way of breaking the curse. I understand that for it to be a test, it has to offer her the things she wants most, but maybe don't test people. Yeah. Maybe, like... I get that he wants to see if she's good, but maybe good people don't test other people, Rumple. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing with Mother Gothel, right? It is. I mean, we're clearly supposed to see the parallels here, and we'll see the way that Alice behaves differently, but... Yes, he's like, look, there's a guy named Dr. Facilier who has the magic that uh, can be used to reunite you and your father, and I know how hard it is to be separated from someone you love. But you're going to have to do something kind of underhanded to get that magic. So why don't I teach you a little something? And she's like, cool beans. Yeah, she actually says, I'll get my cloak, which of course reminded me of Futurama. <laughs> You'd have to make a metaphorical deal with the devil. And by devil, I mean robot devil. And by metaphorical, I mean get your coat. Uh, so Ronnie, Ronnie Regina. Regina co- So Regina goes to Baron Samdi's business office where he does his business dealings. And she's like, so did you kill Nick Jack Hansel? And he's like, yep, sure did. Yep, 100%. Stuck a needle in a voodoo doll until he died. And Ronnie's like, oh, 
that was easy. Did you take the dagger? And he's like, I did not take the dagger. And Ronnie's like, okay, I believe you. Which is good, because she should believe him, because he's literally never lied about any of this. Yeah, he is the most upfront man on the face of the planet. And she's like, look, Rumpel says that I shouldn't date you because you're a evil monster person who just wants the Darkling Dagger. And he's like, I thought that's what you like about me. Also, he's like, why does Rumpel keep coming between us? And it's like, I don't know, maybe because he's her mentor and also you're trying to kill him. That's going to put a strain on the relationship, dude. But to Dr. Facilier's credit, he doesn't care. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to kill him. I like banging you. This is the situation. Your, your, your move, Regina. And Regina's like, hmm. She like takes a shot and then she leaves and he, he pulls her back and he's like, hey, 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 you want to have sex? And she's like, maybe later. (laughs) I do kind of love their relationship. I do too. You know what? Regina's only ever been with people, and not just romantically, like in her life, Regina's always had to deal with people who are trying to manipulate her. So it's so refreshing to have her be with somebody who is completely upfront about everything and just genuinely likes her, you know? He's like... He's not with her as part of some nefarious scheme or to gain power. He just likes having sex with her. And if anything, it complicates his plans to be with her. But he's with her anyway. Yeah, and he's not trying to redeem her or anything. There's not like, we need to guide each other onto the right path, Robin Hood stuff. It's just like, yeah, I, I enjoy spending time with you. Which you think should be the foundation for basically any relationship, but... I mean, right? I mean, the foundation for her relationship with Robin was classism. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, the scene ends with uh, Rumple showing up and him being like, we need to have words, Baron Samdi. And uh, Facilier being like, Jesus fucking Christ. Rumple isn't as uh, trusting of Dr. Facilier as Regina is for some reason. He should be. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's exactly as upfront with, with Rumple. Anyway... Back in the fairy tale flashback, Alice shows up at Dr. Facilier's lair shed. Shed in the middle of the forest, his man cave. And uh she she roots around looking for things. It really reminds me of and I actually think it probably is the same set of the place where Ariel had all of her stuff. Remember when they found that shed that turned out to belong to Ariel that was just full of all of her human stuff? They probably used the same foundation. This doesn't seem to have the weird palm frond roof thing. Oh yeah, that thing did have a palm frond roof. But it has the same feel of we put together this shed and threw all of the props in here. Yes. So Baron Samdi appears from behind her and he's like, hey, so what are you doing in my house? And she's like, I was hoping to pay you to speak to some dead people. And he's like, there are lots of dead people in the room talking to me right now. And they'll say that you're a lying sack of crap. And then Rumpel shows up and is like, well, they are correct. We are here for something else. And then Alice rips out Baron Samdi's heart. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, she just, like, she just does it. She's, like, she rips out that heart. Like, she's been ripping out hearts her whole life. Yeah, she picked up on that real fast. I do want to talk about the heart, though. 
Because when we've seen hearts that are marked by darkness before, usually the darkness comes from within, right? So the heart is a glowing rock and you can see the black swirls inside of it. Or sometimes, like in the case of Rumple and Regina, it's just like a brick of coal. With like little red spots. With little red spots. But Baron Sandy's heart is dark on the outside and glowing good inside. Yeah, I don't know if that's just like how the portals are different this season or if that's supposed to mean something. Yeah, I mean, it could just be that they did the effect differently, but I like to think that it's because other characters have corrupt motivations, things that happen, they make decisions, those decisions are not good, it slowly darkens their heart over time. But with Baron Samdi, he's essentially a good person, but because he works with dark forces, it's like, it kind of is closing in on him. Mm. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe they just made the prop differently this year, but I think it's interesting. So Alice is like, so what, do I order him to give me the magic? And Rumpel's like, no, you have to kill him. It's the only way. And Alice is like, no. I I do like how Baron Zambi, before she says no, he's like, oh, this is the test. He's testing you to see if you're a good person or not. That's what's going on here. And Rumpel's like, I mean, yeah. I mean, she doesn't pick up on the fact that it's 100% a test. She does believe that if she crushes the heart, it will cure her thing with her dad. But she decides, no, she's not going to do that. That's not who she is. And this is the first time we see someone being tested for guardianship actually pass the test. Mm. She shoves the heart back into Baron Samdi's chest and runs away. I do like that Baron Samdi told her literally what the situation was because apparently that's his thing and she just didn't believe him. Well, she didn't like pick up on it. I mean, I think she... She didn't pick up on him literally telling her what's going on. Well, I mean, I think... Yeah, no, you're right. There's no... I was going to try to explain it away. There's, there's, she's... You know, she's in her own world. She had a lot going on. She was holding a man's heart in her hand. So after she puts the heart back and takes off, Rumple runs after her. And it's like, hey, it's just a test. Don't worry. It wouldn't have helped your father at all if you'd crushed his heart. And she's like, what the fuck, man? I do really like her, her giant ass bow on the front of her cloak. Yeah, it's weird. She Her cloak is really trying to make her look childlike because she's Alice in Wonderland, but she's a grown-ass woman, so it's like... It's a strange cloak for a grown-ass woman to have. So, back in Hyperion Heights, Rumpel and Dr. Facilier are having their showdown about the dagger, and Dr. Facilier is like, oh my god, I don't have the dagger. Look for the dagger if you want. It's not here. And Rumpel's like, of course it's not here. You would have hidden it. And Dr. Felicilia is like, dude, believe me. Don't believe me. I don't care. I don't have it. And then Rumpel goes, what's the most traumatic thing you can do in a scene? He goes full Michael Scott here. (laughs) Yes. The most traumatic thing you can do in a scene, pull a gun. So he pulls out a gun on Dr. Facilia. And Dr. Facilia says the thing that we've been saying all episode. He's like, look. You know, this sort of thing doesn't really work when we all know you can't kill people anymore because you're afraid you won't go to, you know, Greek heaven and see Belle again. And then Dr. Facilia, I guess, has some magic because he teleports Rumple back into his car. Yeah, he's like, he, he tells him, he's like, look, next time you come to threaten me, 
come with some threats you're actually willing to follow through on. And then he weeps him back into his car, and Rumpel has a car-based temper tantrum. Yes. Back at Nick's apartment, Hook and Henry are just contaminating the crime scene all over the place. Like, it's still a sealed crime scene. Hook has to, like, cut the thing open to get into it. But they're not wearing booties, and their hair is just flying all over the place, filling it with their DNA. I mean, um, guess it was already filled with Henry's DNA. Yeah, and I mean... All of the crimes that happened there are irrelevant now because Nick's dead. Oh yeah, I guess that's true, isn't it? Huh. I, I Except that it's a totally different type of crime scene now because now you're trying to find out... Now you're trying to find evidence of who would have killed Nick. Henry opens a drawer and finds the piece of paper from the hospital that says that he is the father. Mm-hmm. And he, like, just takes it. And, and Hook sees him take it. Hook doesn't care. Hook's like, yeah, take things from crime scenes. Who cares? What, what's he going to do? Complain about it? I learned how to be a cop from a curse. But this scene is interrupted by a man in the apartment just, like... Booking it out? Yeah, he just runs out of the back door and, like, jumps over the fire escape. It's Naveen. It is Naveen. He's wearing this hipster newsy cap to conceal his identity, I guess. He's worn that, he's worn that in other scenes. That's, like, I would say, if anything, that's his signature hat. Maybe don't wear it when you're committing crimes. I assumed it was so security cameras wouldn't be able to get his face from far up. Oh, I mean, that would be a good reason to wear it, but we've seen him wearing it before. Hmm. So there's a very short chase scene where Naveen does a bunch of extra jumps that I don't think save him any time. Nope, nope, not at all. And apparently don't, because Hook catches him more or less immediately. Yeah, and... Naveen tells him what we all know, that he's working for Baron Samdi, that Baron Samdi's the one who killed Nick... That he's more than he seems, which Hook will realize if he looks at the medical report on the death of Nick. And that Baron Samdi is totes going to kill him and he was looking for something to protect himself from Baron Samdi, which, how did that work out for Nick? Right? Like, he says that Samdi killed Nick because Nick had something on him. So to protect himself, Naveen needs information on Samdi. It's like... Just looking at your logic, just like the, just like the surface level of that logic, dude. I see an, I see a problem immediately. Then I guess Hook just lets him go because we get no follow up with that. Yeah, Alice. So Alice Tilly is buying a bunch of books at the bookstore, uh, about Bali and India and other places that she can never go because she's a caged bird or whatever. I don't think she's. I don't think she's buying them. I think she's just gonna look at them. I think they're those people. Yeah. I can't judge. I'm usually that person. Although um, I do buy books that I read at bookstores. Yeah, I mean, I read books at bookstores, but I spend a lot of money on books at bookstores, too, so I feel like it's okay. Yeah. Margot comes back with hot chocolate and a friendship bracelet that she bought at the counter because it just really made her think of Tilly. Mm. And, okay, I thought Tilly's reaction was because the bracelet was starting to wake her up. Because she kind of freaks out, and she talks about how she has these voices in her head, and she can't cope, and she runs off. I thought it would make sense that the issue was the bracelet was waking her up. Nope. Spoilers, that's not what's happening. Yep, so she just books it out of there. She's like, oh god, the voices, and she runs out. and Which is not a great way to end a date. Yeah, and Marco's like, what? Yeah. I do like that Margot had left briefly to bring them hot chocolate. I assume that this 
giant bookstore has a coffee shop inside of it. Yes. So, meanwhile, Rumple is breaking into Ronnie... I was going to say Ronnie and Kelly's bar, but I guess it's just Ronnie's bar now. Yeah, Kelly's gone. Kelly's gone. He steals... He breaks into her, like, lockbox and steals the vial of magic because he is a piece of shit. (laughs) Yep. And then he uses that magic to scry for his dagger. I was going to say, though, because I know how frustrated you get when people forget that locator spells exist. And that's immediately what he does. It's like, oh, locator spell. Yeah. I don't feel like he needed to use all of the magic to do that, though. No, probably not. He dumps out the entire bottle. He dumps it out on a map of Hyperion Heights. And we didn't do this, but Hyperion Heights is obviously not a real place. But you could actually look at the map and you could figure out where Hyperion Heights is supposed to be. Mm. We didn't do that. But you could. Yeah. Anyway, he the magic burns a spot on the map and that's where his dagger is. So he books it looking for his dagger. And then we cut back to Rumple in Day of the Dead Land. Where he is looking at a shrine built to his dead deceased wife. And uh, she's... It's the same shrine. I guess he set this up in Day of the Deadland. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Alice is like, it must have been a great love story. And he's like, eh. Eh. I know, right? Eventually, she just gave up and agreed to be married to me. Yeah, he wore her down. He wore her down and then eventually got her pregnant. She was like, well, all right. And then she broke up with him because she was afraid for the safety of her child. And then the child was put in danger. And she's like, I guess I need to be married to you again. Yeah. Great love story. Great love story. Love story for the ages. So. Alice, in addition to saying what a great love story they had, because she doesn't know, talks about how she used to be trapped in towers and how she's so excited to not be trapped in towers anymore. And Rumple tells her about the whole thing with the Guardian. He needs her to be the Guardian to take the evil out of him so he can get back with Belle. And he tells her he doesn't know exactly how it's done. And I actually find this kind of badass. Alice is like, um, I think the dagger knows. And I think it's telling me. And I'm just going to telekinetically grab it now. And then just suck up all of your darkness right here, right now. Boy, I'm glad other people's dead relative of Frenda's aren't, like, around because this would be awkward otherwise. Well, I mean, there are. You can kind of see in the background there are other people. I I, I think that maybe if you're a ghost, it's easy to get bored and something exciting is happening at least. So Alice grabs the dagger. Her hands glow with bright white light. We... She, she talked a little bit earlier about how much, uh, now that she has love, she understands what a powerful force love is and how terrible it is to be separated from someone you love, which is the same sort of thing he said to her earlier to convince her to break the curse by killing Baron Samdi, except this is romantic love and that's different and better, I guess. Eh. So. Her white magic sucks all of the evil out of Rumple and then it burns his name off of the dagger. So the dagger no longer says Rumpelstiltskin. His scaly skin disappears. It's normal skin now. But then he looks at the picture of Belle. And then 
he looks at Alice glowing so bright and the glowing light like going into her. Honestly, she looks like a goddess right now. And Rumpel's thought is, oh no, I can't burden her with this. And he tackles her to keep her from completing this. Which it feels like it's probably a little late to do that because she's already compressed the dagger into a tiny ball and is crushing it with light magic. But no, I mean, when he knocks the ball out of her hand, it becomes the dagger again. And the dagger says Rumpelstiltskin again. And here's the thing. He tells her that the reason he did this is because he didn't want to curse her with immortality. Because immortality is just another tower. Which, we have no indication that the Guardian is immortal. Yeah, and honestly, that doesn't mean she'd be separated from her loved ones either. Belle made a conscious choice not to let you use your magic to make her young and healthy again. There's literally no reason Alice couldn't just keep Robin Hood Jr. young forever, assuming that she's immortal, which you have no reason to assume because it seems like you know balls all about the Guardian. This entire thing is so nonsensical that when we were watching it and he, like, jumped on her to stop it, my thought was not... Oh, he's protecting her? My thought was, uh, he still can't let go of the power. Yeah, because that's the logical thing. Like this... That's his deal, right? Yeah, this whole thing doesn't make sense. The whole, I can't let you fulfill your destiny because then you might be immortal and being immortal sucks. I... It's weird. But she tells him that basically... From this point on, she's going to take on all of the emotional labor that Belle did, and she's going to follow him around and make sure that he becomes a good person and stays a good person, even though we know that she doesn't do that good a job because he goes back to full-on scaly dark one, but whatever. It's not her job. Well, I mean, it wasn't her job until she made it her job. Yeah, I guess. Back in Hyperion Heights, Rumpel follows the map, and it takes him to the... Fremont Troll, where Alice is. And she's like, I'm glad to see you. Can you hear that? Because I'm hearing voices and, like, it's I don't know what... It's freaking me out. It's, it's freaking me out. And Rumpel's like, of course, it was you. It was always you. Yeah, the voices were the dagger. The dagger has been in her bag this whole time, apparently. Apparently, in her role as the guardian, she knew she had to protect the dagger and got it without knowing it without knowing how she subconsciously bamfed it into her backpack i guess anyway so now rumple has the dagger again tilly isn't hearing voices anymore because they were coming from the dagger and weaver used all of that magic for nothing yeah because he didn't need to because the dagger was being safe with tilly the whole time i mean i guess it wasn't pleasant for her but Why did it, uh, why did it wait to teleport? Was it just to stop Baron Samdi from taking it? Yeah, I think so. But if that's the case, then why would it, whatever. They're not, they're, this whole plot was so pointless. People could have done nothing and they ought to have all gotten to the same places at the end. Well, it did manage to waste the magic that Regina found to save Henry. Ugh. So annoying. All it did was drag that plot out. But we know it can't drag that plot out too long. We're on episode 18. There are only 22 episodes. Unless the show's going to end with Henry dying of a broken heart. We know they're going to figure it out pretty soon. So, 
back in the flashback, full Dark One Rumple is watching Alice and Tilly make out in front of their cabin. Um, I- by make out, you mean exchange a chaste kiss and then hug? Yes, yes. This is something that you could feasibly do with a parent or sibling in public and no one would side-eye you, which is how you can tell they're in a real relationship. Yeah. And then the funniest thing in this season happens. Yeah, so Rumple is, like, staring at them wistfully, and then Hook steps up behind him and is like, hey. And he jumps! He's so startled! It's hilarious! I I have to think Robert Carlyle was... I have to think Robert Carlyle improvised that, because it's so out of nowhere. Yeah, it's... It's out of character. It's it's a really bizarre moment, but it's also deeply funny. Yeah, well, I feel like he was in his, like, manic... I feel like he was feeling his manic Dark One energy that he does when he's doing that character. And so it just seemed appropriate to do, like, a high-pitched jump squeal laugh thing. <laughs> and Hook's like, I saw what you did for my daughter, and I just want you to know... You're a different crocodile than the crocodile I thought you were. And Rumple's like, yeah, because you don't know me. I'm f- literally from a different universe. I am literally a completely different crocodile. You are dealing with you were dealing with wish verse Rumple Stiltskin, whose bell died many years ago in a different circumstances than the way my bell died. But they did both kill their wives. Mila. Yeah, yeah Mila. Yeah. You can't think about this too hard because a lot of the timeline stuff is just too weird. Oh my god, I don't even want to think about the thing with Neil. I I brought it up when we were watching the episode, but I mean, we're just rehashing stuff from the Wishverse. How is Neil Henry's father in a timeline where Neil didn't go to the world without magic? Yeah, it makes no sense. But anyway. So, so it, it's kind of great because Hook's like, you're not my dark one, you're a better person and you're you're a good man and he tries to shake rumple's he puts his hand out to shake rumple's hand and rumple pokes his palm with one finger before taking it with his full hand and shaking it i didn't notice that bit it's so weird he's acting like he doesn't know what a handshake is it's a good piece of very small physical humor yeah i feel like robert carlisle was definitely trying to do a different type of dark one here, as as Hook says, but kind of a dark one who has lost his connection to humanity. Yeah. So, back in Hyperion Heights, Regina confronts Rumple about the fact that he took her powder, and also all of the stuff we just said, that the dagger was never in danger, so all of that was for fucking nothing. Yeah. Like, congratulations, you doomed Henry for no reason. And... Rumpel says, if you want to be angry, be angry. And I'm watching this episode and I'm like, yeah, be angry. Punch that guy. And she pulls the long-term relationship card. She's like, for crying out loud, we've been doing this for so long. We were finally working together for a fairly long period of time. It's been like, what, decades since the whole Black Fairy thing? God, it has, right? She tells him she said she would deal with Baron Samdi and he didn't trust her to deal with it. So now she's done with him, which I mean, good for her to say that. But also he wasn't you guys that he that it it was a one sided respect to begin with. Also, you are totally going to go running to him if something goes wrong again, because that's the way this show always ends up like, come on, all of these things are in cycles. 
Yeah, yeah. So, in the police station, Henry has brought coffee for Hook. Which is nice. It is nice. You know, especially since the guy, like, brought him to an active crime scene and everything. Mm. So... Hook reveals that he looked into the ME report the way Naveen told him to, and he discovered that... And he discovered the ultimate locked room mystery, which is that... Nick was stabbed in the heart, but there was literally nothing that pierced his skin. He was stabbed from inside of his heart. So, I mean... No, I love it, right? It's a locked room mystery within a locked room. I I do love how Henry's like, how is it possible that he was just stabbed in the heart without being stabbed anywhere else? And Hook's like, I'm no medical examiner, but I'm assuming it's not. Well, I like that Hook doesn't try to, like, come up with a thing. He's just like, I don't know, Henry. Shit is fucked. So we cut from that to... Margot cleaning a glass in the bar so Alice can come up and they can talk about how sometimes Alice is, sometimes Alice has TV mental issues and if they want to date then that'll interfere with their relationship, but like, maybe they should still bang anyway. Okay, so actually this reminded me a lot of Hannah Gatsby's new show, Douglas, which is not yet available to watch, but I did see her perform live because i'm awesome like that Mm. because we live in portland and she came through here yes um but she talks about the vulnerability of telling someone that you have a mental illness and knowing that it might change the way they look at you so this and and that is a thing that is a real thing i have felt those feelings watching this scene it actually felt pretty real the way alice was like look i don't want you to see me like that because I think it's going to change the way you look at me. And Margot is incredibly reassuring that it will not change the way she looks at her. So, you know. I This is the part of their relationship where I almost was like, oh, good, a good actual relationship. And I was excited about it. And then they, like, touch hands and then they, like, jerk back because... It's too much. Yeah. Sometimes when they touch... The honesty, it's too much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But apparently Alice dropped the friendship and more bracelet when they were uh, leaving the books, when she was running out of the bookstore. So it gets tied. It gets tied back on and they sort of touch hands, but not really. Like, why aren't they allowed to touch? But I guess at least she's wearing the bracelet now, so. Neat. Instead of having any real interactions, they're just going to get drunk together. Which, Marco's at work. Maybe she shouldn't be getting drunk There's at work. no one in the bar. Her mother took off. Her mother left her a million text messages saying, come to Hyperion Heights right now. And then was like, I can't tell you why I'm going back to San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Let the girl drink. So, as a quick way to wrap up this plot, we have... I guess I would qualify this as the more interesting subplot. Yeah, Henry goes to talk to Jacinda and tells her, Hey, guess what? It turns out, and I followed up with the hospital and this is real, that somehow I am Lucy's father. Even though we never met before a few months ago. That's awesome i like this i like that there are these people who are asleep and they're realizing things that could not possibly be 
Yeah, he's like, Nick told me this, and at first I was like, yes, he's a, you know, murderer guy, so maybe I shouldn't believe him, but I did my own research, and I am Lucy's dad. And Justin is like, I don't know what to do with this information. Henry's like, welcome to my world! (laughs) He does say, um, okay, I hate to be the guy who believes that the book is real, but the only explanation at this point seems to be that the book is real and that's where we leave them for the week i guess we're back to the far more interesting subplot thing yeah i mean i i know we spent a lot of time smack talking this episode i didn't actively disliked it i didn't actively dislike it i nothinged it yeah it wasn't painful to watch the way some episodes are there were even some moments that brought me genuine joy like robert carlyle being startled by hook that was hilarious but why like why why was this episode again i i think one of the big problems we've talked about it a whole bunch with this season is that they keep on changing tracks they keep on switching directions they keep on pivoting and that means that there that every other episode needs to be a table setting episode. Yeah. Well, and this episode ends with everyone literally in the same place that they were before the episode started with two exceptions. One, Henry now knows that he is Lucy's father, so that's great. That's why we liked that scene so much because it actually moves something forward and Regina no longer has a way to cure Henry's curse, which is moving backwards. Wrong direction, guys. I know you need to throw up complications, but you also shouldn't just drag things out for the sake of dragging them out. Also, it made the whole she found the magic, the one magic ingredient that can fix Henry. It made that completely pointless. Yeah. Introduce an element only to have it do literally nothing. Well, and I'm not sure how I feel about next week's episode either. Next week's episode is called Flower Child. And according to the Netflix description... Gothel's girlhood unfolds in flashback, revealing her painful road to revenge. Jacinda and Henry's relationship takes a big step forward. So I think, I think this episode will end with Jacinda and Henry kissing. Mm. Which is good, because then we have to move things along. I don't know, just reading the next few oh i try not to do that yeah i try not to do that too but when text is right in front of my face all right so fashion corner i actually have a couple things this time Ooh, by all means did did you have anything or no i mean i did like alice's cloak yeah it's big blue bow my big thing was i really did like alice's cloak but also i liked what they did with rumpelstiltskin's flashback costume where his shirt sort of had a reptile-like design to it that hinted at scales uh-huh yeah even though he was still persony at that point i think it's a good take on his dark one outfit yeah that's interesting i hadn't thought about that but yeah and it serves as a good interstitial between his good guy i'm living with bell peasant life thing outfit and his dark one outfit it's a good intermediary step yeah uh, recommendations. Okay, so my recommendation is really not connected to this particular episode. I'm sure that's fine. But, of course, my recommendation is Descendants Part 3! Yes, which we just watched. Oh my god. Okay, so Speaking first of, of all... Dr. Facilier. 
Yeah, okay, so there you go. This one has Dr. Facilier's daughter. That's the connection. Who And Dr. Facilier, who's also a straightforward guy. And they're not given enough to do. Yes, accurate. <laughs> Which makes sense. I mean, it's the last... It's the last movie in a trilogy, so they're really just wrapping up existing storylines more so than introducing new ones. So any new characters who are introduced in that movie get the short shrift, with one major exception. Rockabilly Hades. Oh my god, it's like watching them try and fail to do Hades on Once Upon a Time versus the amazing way that they did Hades in Descendants 3 with Danny from 30 Rock, with a blue mohawk with a it's rockabilly hair which is similar but different to mohawks it's amazing it's a great take on hades anyway i really enjoyed descendants 3 i love the way disney channel original movies like smuggle revolutionary politics to the tweens and this one not quite as much as the second descendants movie but obviously more than the first one hmm Yeah, the first one just establishes the universe. Yeah, well, in the first one, there's a lot of injustice, but the movie doesn't really call it out. The second one calls out all of the injustices, and the third one... Comes up with a very unrealistic resolution for those injustices. But, I mean... Yeah. So, yes, Descendants Part 3, do recommend... I have a retroactive recommendation because I can't believe I didn't think of it before. Oh, by all means. Uh, This is for either one of the two Hansel villain episodes. Uh, Buffy, season three, the episode Gingerbread. Did we not recommend that? I'm pretty sure we did. I don't think we did. Oh, did you and I just talk about it off mic? I actually don't think we did either. I think we totally skipped over the fact that gingerbread is a thing that would go really well with that. Oh, no, I think I joked that we should just do that episode and then just put it up, acting as though that was our episode. (laughs) But gingerbread is such a good episode of Buffy. It was for a while, and I guess I haven't really had to introduce anyone to Buffy for a while, but it's my go-to intro episode of Buffy. Oh, interesting. Do you have a go-to intro episode of Buffy? Um, no, I don't really. Like... I guess maybe Hush, but Hush is, the problem with Hush is it's so different from other episodes. Yeah, that's why I choose Gingerbread, because it's a solid enough episode on its own. It's a strong episode, but it also sort of establishes a whole bunch of character dynamics, relationships, the way the world works, Mm -hmm. because a lot of it is Buffy introducing Joyce to her world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because then you have Joyce as an introduction... Then you have Joyce as your intro character, as opposed to, like, season one where your intro character is Xander. And no one wants that. Uh, the discussion of whether or not Xander ever gets better. I I will say he stops actively sexually harassing his friends around season five. I swear, though, every time I rewatch Buffy, I get more irritated with Xander than I was before. Uh. So I think that about does us for this week yeah yeah that, that'll about do it welcome to storybook is partially listener supported if you want to be one of those supporters you should head over to our website www.ilovetelevisionzines.com and click on our patreon link we would like to thank our current five dollar and above patrons beryl patricia sam cassidy alex alicia ryan maracruz rosa javier and benjamin If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any television at all, head over to our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at 
I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Dream maker, love take, don't you mess around with